Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, a big hello to all of you here at Central Campus, also those of you who are joining us online, and also those who are meeting together at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and in the Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary. Joining me today again uh, is Matt Shore, our family pastor here at Center Street, uh, and we're doing just a little mini-series on the importance of passing on your faith to the next generation. You know, when I was in my early teens, I can recall reading through the Old Testament and uh, something that troubled me, uh, well, there was a number of things that did, particularly when I got into the weeds of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but, but something that troubled me beyond that was how over and over again, uh, I would read how one generation of the Hebrew people, they, they knew God, they loved God, they served God with all of their hearts, and then the very next generation, we're talking about their kids, just really wanted nothing to do with God and basically did whatever was right in their own eyes. Which, of course, raises the question, why did that happen? How did a godly society become a godless society in just one or sometimes two generations? Well, the short answer is they got distracted by lesser things and didn't make passing on their faith their highest priority. Well, friends, we risk the same thing happening in our generation, which is why we're doing this little mini-series. We not only want to um, uh, emphasize how, it is, how important it is as Christ followers that we pass on our faith and our values to the people that, uh, you know, come across our pathway, but also to our families. We also want to talk about how we can do that most effectively. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this famous phrase, go and make disciples, or go and pass on your faith, beginning with those that are closest to you. Now, last week we learned that discipleship at its core is all about influence. We can't change a person's heart because only God can do that. All we can do is influence them to move from this idea of self-reliance on what I can do in my own strength and then move into uh, moving to only what God can do, moving towards uh, His influence in our lives, moving from self-centered living to God-centered living. And the key to influencing someone is trust. I mean, think of it this way. How open are you to following someone if you don't trust them? And to prove this, we're just going to do a little exercise. So, Dad, we're going to do one of those trust team-building exercises, and you're going to fall into my arms. I don't think so, son. Come on. You trust don't me. I don't think so. That's three we'll times. Try it. We'll try it another time. But Tonight, I think we're going to Not do in it. front of, you know, 2,300 people. Mm-mm. <laughs> so, uh, how open we are to following someone depends on how we perceive them. If we perceive that they don't like us, or if we perceive that they don't have our best interests at heart, then we're not going to follow them. 
Well, this is the challenge that we face as parents and spiritual parents, those that are in our sphere of influence, our friends and our family and our children. If we're going to influence those people that are around us to follow Christ, we need to be very clear on what diminishes our influence in their lives, but also we need to be very clear on what strengthens and builds up our influence in their lives. So this is essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying in our scripture lesson today. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. In fact, we're going to be looking at chapter 5 and 6, pulling some key uh, uh, verses from those two chapters. But for right now, we're just going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, just to clarify, this passage is really directed at both parents. Um, You know, I know it says fathers, but mothers, just because you're not specifically mentioned here doesn't mean that you're free to exasperate your children. (laughs) Trust you understand that. I'm I'm not sure mom actually had that explained to her. Remember, son, um, Not you know, we're, to, we're to honor our father and mother, okay? She's, so just remember that. But, but seriously, this passage is directed specifically to fathers <laughs> to remind them that it is their responsibility to ensure that they as parents are intentionally bringing up their children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. But having clarified that, don't miss the point of this scripture When Paul says to parents, do not exasperate your children, he's saying avoid doing those things that diminish your influence in the life of your children. And when he says instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, he's really saying to parents, do those things that will strengthen your influence in the life of your children and ultimately lead them to embrace Christ by faith and to follow him. And that is what we've been focusing on in this series. How can we influence our children or our spiritual children to follow Jesus? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 teaches the greatest way to influence others is the way of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, I can have all the gifts of the Spirit. I can have faith that moves mountains. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. In other words, I won't influence anyone. Galatians 5, 6 says that in this life, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. In short, the greatest and the most effective way of passing on your faith is through love. Not a fake love, not a, you know, a, a, a humanistic kind of love. We're talking about a God-oriented love, an agape love, a love that is genuine, that comes from the heart, and therefore is real and is consistent. And so as we pointed out last time, if we want to influence our children to follow Jesus, the first thing we need to see, they need to see is that our love for God is real. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The most effective way to pass on your faith to your children or the spiritual children, youth, or adults that you're mentoring and investing in, the most effective way to pass on your faith to them is to be a growing friend and disciple of Jesus Christ yourself. You see, I can only pass on what is real in my life. If it's not happening to me, it's not going to happen through me. If we're faking it, if our walk with God isn't real, our children will sense it. They will know it. And they won't receive it. They won't follow it. In fact, they will get exasperated if we try to make them do something that we're not doing or something that they sense just isn't real in our life. Furthermore, if we want to influence our children to follow Jesus, they need to see that our love for our spouse is real. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As our children mature and get older, their ongoing trust in us hinges on how consistent that they perceive our character is. If they see us mistreating an employee or their, or their mother or a friend, their trust in us is going to be diminished. And so one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to love and respect your spouse. Because children build their sense of security and identity on the consistency of your character and the foundation of your love for one another. You know, when I was growing up as kids, you know, we loved as a family to go on road trips. And I can still vividly remember when we were little, sitting in the back of our minivan and, you know, looking up at the front seat and mom and dad and uh, they were sitting there. And I remember as we were driving, mom and dad loved to hold hands while they drove. And something amazing happened when they did that inside of me. Because I realized in that moment that mom and dad were okay. That the security that I needed to feel from my mom and dad, it was happening right before my eyes. And when I wanted, I wanted to carry that on into my own family, and now when Arian and I drive in our vehicle, we'll purposely hold hands, because I want to model that for my kids. And we'll be driving, holding hands, and I'll look in the, the rearview mirror, and I'll look back right when that moment when we, when we touch hands, and I'll see all my kids smile, and then I'll see them look out the window. <laughs> yeah. But I know what it feels like, that, that moment when you look and you're like, oh, mom and dad are okay. And there's a feeling and a sense of security and, and love that comes from that. And so when, when your children see you're able to love and respect each other, even if you're disagreeing or if you have a failure or a disappointment or maybe even a tragedy in your marriage, they will believe that your love for them is unconditional as well if they see you loving and respecting each other. And then thirdly, if we want to influence your children to follow Jesus, they need to see that your love for them is real. Ephesians 5.1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
This passage calls us to love others, including our children and those that are in our sphere of influence, our friends that we're reaching out to, our neighbors that we're looking out for. We're supposed to love them the way that Christ loves us. He died for us. He loves us. And it's an unconditional love. Lee Strobel, in his book, Case for Grace, tells how he and his father had a very strained relationship. And it all came to a head one day when his father, in anger, told him, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. The rejection that Lee felt resulted in him storming out of their house that day and determined never to return. And it was only years later when Lee uh, learned about God's unconditional love and his grace and his acceptance of him did he realize that his all-consuming mission that he had made his entire life surround was to prove that he didn't need his dad's approval or his love. Lee describes how for years he was a workaholic. For years he was driven by this, this incessant need to succeed in everything that he did. And he was distant from those that he loved and those that he cherished. And he often was cold and harsh to them. And all of it was fueled by this rage that was within him, stemming from the rejection that he had felt from his father. Now, this story of Lee's is, is really instructive to us. When Lee Strobel's dad communicated that he had little love for his son, he lost all influence in the life of his son. Lee was so exasperated, so provoked to anger, that he left home for good. Not only was their relationship broken, but you see, his father's influence in his life was over as well. And that is precisely the point that we all need to understand. Unless our children see that our love for them is real, that it is genuine, that it's unconditional, we'll never get to first base in bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord the way that the Apostle Paul instructs us to do here in Ephesians 6.4. You see, we can know our Bible inside out. We can sit our kids down every morning and, and, and read to them from the Scriptures. We can teach them our beliefs and our values and our convictions. But if they sense that we tolerate them rather than treasure them, they will not hear us. They, they will not follow us. It is in this sense that the first and most fundamental step in bringing our children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord is to seek to show them unconditional love. And so in the time remaining, we're going to focus on how to love our children unconditionally because without love... We won't have any influence in their lives. And therefore, we're essentially going to accomplish nothing in terms of the instructions that Paul gives us here. You know, there is no relationship like the parent-child relationship that teaches us what unconditional love is. Steve May says, we may strive to love others unconditionally, like our spouse, uh, close friends, or our siblings. But it doesn't come naturally to us. This kind of unconditional love is something that you have to develop. It's something actually that God has to develop within us. For example, you may love your wife unconditionally today, but you probably didn't 
um, earlier in your relationship. Even after dating her a year or two, you didn't love her unconditionally. At At least chances are you didn't. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let me put it this way. After courting her for a year or two, suppose you had discovered that she was unfaithful to you. Or suppose you had discovered that she was a criminal. Wouldn't you agree that it's quite possible your feelings for her may have changed at that point? Today, you may love your wife with all of your heart. But to a certain extent, it's a love that she has earned by being faithful, trustworthy, and the wonderful person that she is. Now, too often, this is how we think God loves us. We think the more that we do things worthy of His love, well, the more His love for us will grow. But it doesn't work that way. And becoming a parent teaches us that. You see, the moment that your children came into the world, you loved them, period. Regardless of how they looked, how wrinkly they were, or whatever, I mean, you loved them. I remember when Matt and his wife, Arian, had their first child. On more than one occasion when his brothers would witness him changing their baby's diaper, they would gag. They would say, Matt, how can you stand doing that? But since then, they've all had children of their own. And I've noticed a much different um, perspective or reaction in changing their own child's diaper, even when their child had a thermonuclear explosion (laughs) that the diaper just had no chance to contain. (laughs) I've had a few of those, I'm assuming. Yes, indeed. A few, yeah. And sometimes the fallout was all over the place, you know, up the back, down the legs. The smell was toxic. (laughs) And yet not one of the dads walked away and said, sorry, I can't do this. I'm done with this. Wow. Not one of them yelled to the kid and said, if that happens again, I'm putting you up for adoption. (laughs) Never happened. No, every one of them did exactly what they witnessed their older brother do years before. Well, I know what it was. Take him to the tub, and you just hose him down. Just hose him down, yep. So no but this is what I saw. They just lovingly cleaned up the mess, hosed them down. <laughs> and it blew me away, but they were just, you know, they would talk soothingly to their child through the whole process. Are you okay? You must really have a stomach ache or something like that. You see, when it was... Their older brother's kid, they were leaning over the toilet, you know, about to throw up. But this was their child, whom they loved like none other. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. You've all had one of those moments, probably not while you were changing their diaper, but one of those moments when you thought to yourself, I never knew I had the capacity to love a human being as much as I love this little girl or this little boy. But you see, this is unconditional love. And all normal, healthy parents have it. If you're a parent, think of the love you have for your children, whether they're your biological children, your adoptive kids, 
and realize that this is the best human example of God's love for us. God's love, like a parent's love, is not based on merit or on performance or earning God's love. It's based on the fact that we are His. Amen? We are His. That's the basis of God's love for us. Dirty diaper and all. (laughs) And this is something we need to instruct our children in. Time and time again, how loved they are by God. And also something we need to seek to model for them in our relationship with Him. Unconditional love is an irrational love. It makes a child feel treasured and not just tolerated. Unconditional love says, I will love you no matter what. I may not like what you do, and I'll tell you so. I may grieve, actually, as I see you making decisions that are going to hurt you. I may disagree with you. In fact, I, I may exercise tough love with you in order to prevent you from hurting yourself. But through it all, I will never stop loving you. And here in Ephesians 6.4, the Apostle Paul essentially says, your children will not get exasperated when you love them like this. Paul says we need to focus on two things. Instructing them and training them. There's a lot of things that we we need to instruct and train our children in, including reading, studying, and, and applying the scriptures to our lives. You know, hearing the voice of God through the scriptures. Learning what is right and wrong. The importance of humility and compassion, uh, the importance of serving others, extending grace and forgiveness, how to be responsible and cultivate a good work ethic. There are many things that we want to bring our children up, train them in, and instruct them in. But as we've already said, our first priority needs to be to instruct and train them in what it means to love unconditionally. First of all, we need to instruct them on what the Bible teaches about unconditional love. We need to teach them who God is. That He is a God of love. That this is really, He's the very source of love. And that He loves us so much that He died for us. There isn't a greater expression of love. We need to teach them who they are in Christ. And that they find their identity in Christ and in nothing or no one else. And that Christ loves them with an unconditional love. That there is nothing that they can do that will make God love them any more or any less. They need to be taught that they are the sons and daughters of God. Mm -hmm. Precious children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we talked about earlier in this series, we need to reference this and reinforce this again and again during the day. Keeping continually pointing our kids to God by having little faith talks and, and God's sightings in, uh, during the day, in, in the morning at breakfast, while driving in the car, uh, during an evening family meal or at bedtime. But secondly, we also need to um, not just instruct our children, we need to train them to learn to grow in what it means to love unconditionally. You know, a good coach does more than instruct a player on how to play the game. He shows the player how to play his position or how to play the game. In fact, studies show that 7% of what a child learns, and actually 
anyone learns is through words. That often encourages me as a pastor. Um, 18% comes from shared experiences and 75% comes from modeling. When Paul talks about training our children, he's talking about modeling for them or showing them whatever it is we want them to learn. And so if we want to train them to love unconditionally, we will do so most effectively by modeling or showing unconditional love to them. So what might that look like? Well, we have a picture of what it might look like in Luke chapter 3. There we read about the baptism of Jesus. And it says, A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. Here God the Father extends the blessing to God the Son, just as he begins his ministry. When Jesus came to earth, he was the God-man, fully God, fully man. And God the Father undoubtedly knew that Jesus in his humanity needed his Father's affirmation. And so he blesses his Son. He expresses his pleasure in his Son. Unconditional love at the core desires to bless. A blessing is a spoken word. It is a touch, a look, a simple action that says, I love you, I believe in you, I'm proud of you, I accept you. You see, a blessing conveys the exact opposite message of that of a curse. A curse calls on God or the powers of evil to send some evil or some injury down on some person. A curse wishes the worst for that person. Its intention is to hurt, to tear down, to communicate disgust. But a blessing, on the other hand, is calling on God to send his goodness, his favor, into the life of another person. Blessing someone means you desire God's best for them. Your intention is to build up, to heal, to bring encouragement and confidence into the life of the other person. It is the heart of what it means to love someone unconditionally. Now practically, you can show unconditional love to your children or your spiritual children in a number of ways. One is with a gentle spirit. Galatians 5.22 includes gentleness as a fruit of the spirit. Seek to be gentle with your children regardless of what they may have done wrong. Don't be harsh with them. Be firm, yes. But be careful how you speak to them and respond to them after they blow it in some way. Uh, don't humiliate them. Don't ridicule them out of your anger. I'm not saying that you shouldn't discipline, but always first discipline yourself. Be in control of yourself. A person who isn't disciplined has no right to discipline. You need to be disciplined first and in control of yourself. Another part of all this is encourage your, your child to try things and let them know it's okay to fail. 
You know, if your child tries a, a, a new sport, for example, or takes on a new responsibility and fails, or doesn't do well, and you, the parent, respond with, you know, a negative comment or a sarcastic comment, hurtful statement, your son or daughter will, will be inclined to no longer risk or try new things at all. And I've seen this happen in the life of a lot of men. A lot of men hesitate getting into any situation where they have to do something new that they might fail at. And I wonder sometimes how much of that stems back to where they tried something, they failed and they were ridiculed for it, whether it was their coach, whether it was other peers, or perhaps a parent. But you see, when that happens to you, when you fail at something, or your child fails at something, if you take them out for an ice cream, and you tell them about the times you failed, and how you too felt the pain and, and, and the hurt that they're feeling, and maybe show them from the scripture how God can use this disappointment to grow their character, your children will soon see that your love for them is independent of their success or their failures. And your relationship with them and your influence in their life will continue to be strong as a result. A further way to communicate unconditional love to your children is through your eyes. Children can tell a lot about looking into your eyes. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's womb. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. Every human being is valuable in the sight of God. And as parents, our job is to convey that value to our kids. And one way we do that is through our eye contact. Our oldest son, Ethan, he is quieter in our family. He doesn't say very much, but he is very consistent. He's very kind and gentle. And when I talk to him or I want to encourage him, his, it doesn't really connect the way that I think it should. He never really gives me his eyes. And so I've decided that I can convey my unconditional love for him by getting down on his level. So this last, yesterday, I purposely spent time with him, but then as we're talking at the end, I got down just like this on my knees and I said, Ethan, looking him in the eyes, Ethan, I just want you to know how important you are to me and your mom and our family. How much we see your kindness and gentleness and how it blesses us. I see when you care and you share. But I want you to know how much God loves you and how much we love you. And when I say those, said those words to him eye to eye, you could see through his smile and his heart something was happening in him. Have you ever got down on your knees and seen the world through a child's eyes? Something very powerful happens in their lives when a parent or an adult, an important person in their life, gets down and conveys those words to them with their eyes. Ross Campbell in his book, How to Really Love Your Child, writes, we use eye contact as a primary means of conveying love, especially to our children. The more parents make eye contact with their child as a means of expressing love, the more a child is nourished with love and the fuller their emotional tank is. 
When we give eye contact, we're saying, I'm here for you, and you are valuable to me. We can also communicate unconditional love through our ears. Now, you're noticing we're kind of going to be pointing to parts of your anatomy, and this will help you to remember all these things. You know, you'll be remembering ears and eyes and so forth. I think we should sing like head and shoulders, knees and toes. <laughs> uh, another time there. Right. James says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Few things let a child know that we love and value them more than giving them our time and our undivided attention. John Trent tells of a time that he and his family went on a, on a cruise. And one day there, he was sitting on, on the deck and he overheard um, uh, just a heartbreaking conversation between a mom and her 10-year-old son. But mom, why, said the 10-year-old, why did he even bother to come? Trent says, I could just see his mother struggling to frame her response. Well, she said, he's here and he paid for all of us to go on this trip. Well, he's not here, said the 10-year-old. He's been on the phone or on his computer the whole time. And then he made that comment that, you know, just gets right to your heart. This little guy said, doesn't he even want to be with me? You can't get much closer physically than spending seven days in a tiny cabin on a cruise ship. But what broke this boy's heart was he was seeing double. Having a dad who was physically present and yet was emotionally and relationally absent. You've all been in the company of someone who as you were talking to them, they were watching the TV behind you or looking at the folks that were passing or looking at themselves in the mirror. You know the feeling when someone doesn't give you their undivided attention. We give our children and our spiritual children one of the greatest gifts possible when we give them the gift of our full attention. Fourthly, we communicate unconditional love with our hands. In Mark 10, we read that Jesus took children into his arms and he put his hands on them and then he blessed them. Now, of course, we're talking here about appropriate touch. Now, unfortunately, because of abuses in this area, people are increasingly hesitant to express physical affection to their children, especially as they get older. But few things communicate love and acceptance better than an appropriate or tender hug, a pat on the back or a goodnight kiss on the cheek or the forehead. Such meaningful touch given appropriately makes a person feel loved and accepted. Research tells us that when children get loving touches from their parents, they are less likely to seek touch from harmful sources later in life. In fact, women with repeated unwanted pregnancies have told researchers that they, all they wanted, all they wanted was to be held. One study has shown that it takes 8 to 10 meaningful touches, not each week, but each day, to maintain an emotional and physical health. I'm wondering, son, if you had your quota for the day? <laughs> hmm. Oh, just, all right. I want to give you a hug. No, no, don't squeeze. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> if you want to see him scream, you just go like no, this. No, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm just ticklish. I'm just ticklish. <laughs> now, all my kids know that. I'm just a... Uh... Anyways, uh, I don't know, Matt. You know, I don't know if they've got their quota. Um, Probably so, not. So, you know what? I just think we should take a, just a little time out here. And um, now, some of you I know, you're, you know, uh, I'm not even going to 
refer to your ethnicity, but you know, you're just kind of a straight-laced person. That the best you can do, the most affection you can, you can extend is shaking someone's hand, all right? Others of you, you are huggers like nobody's business. Okay, so, so be sensitive to the person around you. If you know the person around you, um, go for it, okay? But we're going to stand right now, and we're just going to give each other a hug. It's time for a group hug. Okay? Or a handshake. Or yeah. a handshake. Or a Don't handshake. Don't make it yeah, Please do a handshake, yeah. Yeah. That was really, uh, that was fun to watch, actually. <laughs> you, you guys enjoyed this. This was good. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you know, I love what Paul Planet says about hugging. He says, hugging is very healthy. It helps the body's immune system. It keeps you healthier. It reduces stress and it induces sleep, which we'll find out here in a moment. And it's, it's rejuvenating. It has no unpleasant side effects. It's a miracle drug. Hugging is all natural. It is organic and naturally sweet. It contains no pesticides, no preservatives, or artificial ingredients. And it's 100% wholesome. Right on. Now we can also use our mouths. So we've talked about the eye, the ear. What else are we talking about? The hands, yes. Now we are onto our mouths. Everyone's eyes went, what? To communicate unconditional love. Now words have tremendous power. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, when you constantly criticize your children, uh, when you're always on their case, uh, talking either negatively to them or about them, you not only exasperate them, but I trust you realize that, that, that you are conditioning them to avoid you. You're conditioning them to um, not want to be around you and not want to talk to you. Because you see, they would rather be with people who like them. Do you like being around people that you perceive don't like you? There's so many things, you know, when we're trying to figure out how do I communicate to my kid, how do I love my child, we just need to ask ourselves, how do I want to be loved? And none of us like to be around people that we feel don't like us or are critical of us all the time. And so that needs to be part of how we communicate with them. Now, on the other hand, when you see them exercise patience, when you see incredible character qualities like they're forgiving someone uh, or they're serving someone or, or, you know, they're serving in some ministry behind the scenes and you affirm them, you compliment them for being responsible, for treating others with respect. You see, you're not only blessing them and you're not only communicating to them um, that you love them but one of the byproducts is is that you're actually drawing them closer to yourself 
Now, another thing here is that as your child gets older, when they're younger, you know, you know, they, they really appreciate the verbal stuff and the hugs and all that. I mean, they do when they get older too, even though they don't seem like it, but they do. But one of the things that's really helpful uh, in communicating your love for them is a handwritten note in which you affirm the gifts and the abilities that you see in them. Uh, you know, when you just see them, and maybe just, it's a note that's just uh, in an ordinary day, but you just say, you know, I am so glad that you're part of our family. These things just um, um, are so powerful in communicating love to your children. At the end of the day, our children and our spiritual children are not going to remember a whole lot about what we taught them and what we said to them. But what they will remember is how we made them feel and how we treated them and how we cared for them. They're going to remember these pictures and these memories of how we lived and how we loved them and how we, lo how we loved others, how we interacted with them. They're going to remember and have pictures and memories of the values and priorities that were in our lives. They'll remember learning humility by watching you serve faithfully behind the scenes or maybe having them come and serve alongside you. They're going to remember learning the value of hard work by doing projects around the house with you or maybe serving the neighbors that are around you. They'll remember learning compassion through seeing you extend compassion to them. They'll remember learning encouragement, hearing you affirm the gift and abilities that you see being formed in them. They'll remember the joy that comes from being hospitable in your home by inviting them to come and help prepare the meal, prepare your home for those that are coming. They'll remember learning what it feels like to have your approval, what it feels like to hear you desiring God's very best for them. When they hear you, bless them almost every night with those words, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. All of this to say, the way that we live our lives and the way that we love our kids and our friends and our family members, we are creating pictures and feelings and memories that they are going to remember for the rest of their life. They're going to remember what it means to live a fully devoted follow, as a fully devoted follower of Christ. However, these memories and these pictures will only become a reality if we are intentional about creating space in our lives for that which is, matters most to us. If something really matters to us, it's going to show up in one place. It's going to show up in our, in our calendars. You see, our calendars need to be more than just a to-do list for our day or our week or our month. Bill Hybel says our calendars need to reflect who we believe God wants us to become. Time is a precious resource that we have limited supply of. It's precious and we need to, to be good stewards of it. I love what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 16. It says this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. And in some translations it says, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God calls us to make the most of every opportunity we have. And as citizens 
of his kingdom, we are being called to invest our time in advancing the purposes and the mission that he has for our lives. And it's only going to happen if we make it in our calendars. Last week, I shared with you how I sensed God calling me to spend more time with him alone. And I, and I knew if it was going to happen, I needed to create that space in my calendar for that to happen. So I wrote down three simple words in my calendar. It was meeting with God. That was it. Meeting with God. It was in my calendar. Fifteen minutes a day with God in the front seat of my car. My meetings happen in my chair. I was so encouraged last week. I, I talked with a mom who said, I already know the chair. And I need to go buy it, but I already know the chair. <laughs> I, I need to go get it, but I already know what it is, and I already know where it's going. And I'm looking forward to how God's going to speak to me. I talked with a dad who said, I can't wait to have my meeting with God this week in the front seat of my car. My meetings happen in my chair. And I told you last week how this extended time with God has been changing my life. Three words in my calendar, meeting with God. It's changed it. Changed me. Changed my life. And so here's our challenge for you. Sometime this week or maybe over the summer months, we want you to meet alone with God and ask him these questions. God, who do you want me to be as a child? God, who do you want me to be as a spouse and a parent or as a friend? Who do you want me to be as an employee or maybe as an employer? Who do you want me to be as a, as a follower of you and what it means to be part of the body of Christ here at Center Street? What does it look like? Who do you want me to be as a neighbor? Lord, who do you want me to become this next year? Ask God those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you during your 15-minute meetings with God in your chair. Ask him those questions. And then whatever you hear him saying, write it down. And then, with your calendar in front of you, we encourage you to ask this question, now how will I live this out in my daily life? Where is it going to show up in my calendar? For some of you, you may be feeling like you're being called to being a better spouse or uh, and being more loving and caring. And so for you, you might actually have to write down date night and make it a priority. If you want to be a healthier person or a fitter person, as I described last week, which is what we're working on for me, you might actually have to write down workout. And for me, more than just once a week. I need it more than that. If you want to be more connected to a group of people that love Jesus and want to see each other growing in their relationship with him, you actually might have to write down community group. If you feel like, wow, my life, I've got so much stuff going on in my life. I've got all this stuff from my past. I have all these things I feel like are holding me back from all that all God wants for me. You might have to write down freedom sessions on Thursday nights. For me, the one thing I've been challenging, being challenged in by a group of men that I meet with, 
this one word has really just rocked me more than I thought it would. Sabbath. When am I taking time in my week to connect with God? Where is it showing up in my calendar? I've, these men challenged me to make this a priority, so it showed up in my calendar, and I did. And not only now do my kids know that when Daddy has Sabbath, he's connecting with God, but they know now that Daddy, we have Daddy's full attention, and there's no laptop and there's no cell phone. We have him to ourselves. For some of you, you need more time. You want to make time with your family more of a priority. So you might actually have to write down the family dinner. Or maybe even for some of us who need to have more fun with our kids, we might actually have to write down family time. Maybe if you want to be living a more missional life, then write down wherever you feel God is calling you to go and serve. There is a, a man that serves inside children's ministries and every week on his calendar, on Sunday mornings, it is every week, it says children's ministries because he is here every single week because he knows the value and what it means to invest in the lives of children here amongst us. If you want to be closer to your grandchildren, you might have to write down date night. If you want to be closer with your kids, you might have to write down date night for them too. Once you write down all these things, we encourage you to commit to whatever you feel like God is calling you to do and make it a rhythm and a pattern of your life. Don't try it for just a week and say, that didn't work. It takes longer than seven days to make something a habit or a rhythm in your life. God could change your entire life by what you write down in your calendar. Because he wants to make the most of every opportunity. He wants to redeem the time that we have here on earth. A calendar is not a to-do list of things that we need to get done. It's, it's, no, it's about reflecting on who we believe God is calling us to be as a parent and as a spouse and as a child and as a follower of him. So this week or this summer, we challenge you to engage in this process. I know it's pretty simple. If you're a young person here today, a youth or a young adult, I wish, looking back on my life, I wish I would have done this earlier. A lot earlier. Because I think things in my life would have been very different. We challenge you guys to engage in this process and redeem the time that we've been given. And start living the life that God wants you to live through a carefully crafted, God-glorifying calendar. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to, uh, yeah. I'm going to close uh, with a thought from Mark Mitchell. He says, you may not have the picture-perfect family of a Norman Rockwell painting. You may never have a president or a billionaire or a superstar in your family line. But who you are today will impact generations to come. You may not get to see the legacy that you leave. You may not see how the choices you make today will impact your children or even your children's children, but they will. You simply can't measure the impact of your life 
at any point during your life. So take to heart and live your life knowing that your investment in God's agenda and in your family is not in vain. Church, there is no greater investment in life. There's no greater source of fulfillment. There is no greater commandment than loving God and loving others with all of your heart. Don't let past regrets prevent you from doing what God's calling you to do today. As long as God gives you life, it's never too late to do what he's calling you to do. And remember this, you, you aren't in this alone. God wants to partner with you in this adventure called parenting. His church wants to partner with us all in this adventure. But God, more than anyone, is saying, call out to me. Involve me in your day. And so do that. Call out to him to help you. Your children or those spiritual children that you're trying to invest in, they don't need a perfect leader. They don't need a perfect parent. They just need a mom and a dad who love Jesus and love them with all of their heart. And often, turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Can't do this in my strength, Lord. I need you. And so we're going to close our time. And we're just going to sing a prayer to God. And I pray that it's your prayer. Whatever heaviness is on that, whatever regrets you have, however inadequate you feel, and whatever it is that God's called you to be and to do, commit it to him through this prayer. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his wisdom. Give you his strength and give you his incredible peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. 
We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.